That's some pretty cool stories that I told that were never really shared from the pulpit. Uh, but today, here over here at the Itaewon campus, we have a special guest speaker. Her name is uh, Pat Sween, and her and her husband have been on staff with the Navigators for the past 24 years. And she's also worked as a registered nurse in the Seattle area. And she often works to help give a voice to those who don't have a voice. Sometimes that means the unborn or refugees or undocumented immigrants. Uh, and her and her friend Dawn, uh, who's going to be speaking later at the Leaders Cafe, her and her friend Dawn have been in Poang since last Wednesday to help train Christian leaders to open up a pregnancy resource center down there. All right. And so the uh, door opened up for her to come and preach. And so right now, I just want us to put our hands together. So welcome up Pat Sween. Thank you. It is a delight to be here. And let me just get myself organized. I'm not very good at holding a mic and looking at notes. Um, You never know where you're going to end up when you follow Jesus. And this was not where I thought I would be. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story and how I came to be here. Um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and thank you. And um, came to know Jesus my first year of college and grew up in a family that was political and that had a generational pattern of speaking for those who couldn't speak, and standing up for truth, when even though it cost. And when I began to follow Jesus, I ended up in Seattle going to university. And I think if I had been honest, by the time I was done with my education there, I would have been a Christian humanist. I believed the word of God, but I thought it was a bit situational, and particularly about the hard issues like abortion. I felt that it was wrong for me, but that didn't mean that it would be wrong for everyone. My senior year of nursing school, I was, this was, um, I'm old, so this was a long time ago. And the state of Washington legalized abortion before Roe v. Wade legalized it for the nation. And I was at the hospital doing my obstetrical rotation. And one day, I walked into the equipment room to get something. And there on the counter was a jar that came from a suction machine, which was not unusual. But this jar, when I looked at it, had perfectly formed little hands and perfectly formed little feet. And from that moment, I knew that abortion was never okay. And that even a very early abortion was something that broke the heart of God. And so as the years went by, And I 
married my sweetheart, who I've been married to for 35 years. Um, We got involved early in speaking out for the unborn. But our role was not a strident voice or a political voice. It was a voice of loving women who were in a place where they felt like they had no other choice. And so we, for a number of years, had pregnant women live in our home with our own three daughters. It was a very female house for my poor husband. (laughs) He said that he needed to learn how to be more relational, so God surrounded him with women. (laughs) And and then in the mid-1990s, I had an opportunity to help start one of the first pregnancy clinics for women in unplanned pregnancies in the U.S. And that turned out to be a very life-changing thing for me. And one of the things that happened in the years that I was there was, especially at the beginning, Seattle has a lot of Asians, and um, I had a lot I met with a lot of women who were Korean. And without exception, for the first four years I worked at that clinic, every Korean woman chose abortion. Some of them were pastor's daughters. Some of them were Christians. Some were not. And some of them did not want an abortion, but they were forced to do it by their parents. And... It broke my heart so much that I started going to Korean pastors in Seattle and saying, we have to do something. We have to work together. And what they said was, well, that isn't a problem in our church. And that's a problem for you, but not for us. And God very clearly said to me, you have to let this go. The time is not right, and you are not the person to do it. Now, I'm 61 years old, and I heard that's a big birthday in Korea, and I just missed it. Because <laughs> it's not a very big deal in America. And um, I'm at the stage of life where I have started a number of things, but God is saying to me, It is time for you to be a voice to the next generation, to raise up those who will be carrying my voice for the voiceless long after you're gone. And so um, several months ago, I, through a very obscure connection, Years had gone by since the Lord told me it was not my battle to fight. And Brady Miller, who some of you know, his mom is one of my best friends. And she was here in Pohang um, with her husband teaching for a couple of months. And she met a young woman uh, who is a pastor's wife, recent law school graduate, mother of two beautiful children, and a woman who has been called by God 
and believes that God can change what is happening in the world of the unborn in Korea. And so Women's Hope Center has started in Pohang. And my first question when she asked me to come was, it's great that there's a group of women that want to do this, but um, are there any men supporting it? Because that matters. And it was clear to me that the Spirit of God is moving because pastors in Pohang have gotten behind this. Some of the churches have donated space. The Christian radio station, I think, and a TV station did an interview on this. And I see some evidence that says the time is now to begin to heal families. It is not about only the unborn. It is about what that does to men and women who make that choice. What it does when that secret is held in the heart of a woman for decades. It changes how she parents her own children. It changes how she relates to her husband. And she may not even know that those things are holding her captive because Satan always holds us in the dark when we do not bring our past sin and wrong choices into the light. God never wastes our pain. He never wastes our painful wrong choices even. But we have to bring them to him. They have to come into the light. And we, the people of God, have to be safe for people to bring those things to. It has to start with us being a people that loves not in spite of, but because of people's brokenness. So one of the things that I have been thinking about in relation to this is in Genesis 1, where God says that he created man and woman in his own image. I think that part of what happens in the issue of abortion is that one of the lies of the enemy is to keep us from fully living out our roles. And for a man, men and women are different. Have you noticed? <laughs> Delightfully so. And a man is made to be a warrior protector of his family, to speak up for truth when it looks hopeless. And often when a man is confronted with an abortion, or with a pregnancy, particularly unplanned, outside of marriage, what happens is he does not stand for the life of his child. And a woman without that protection 
has a very hard time choosing life by herself. Now, a woman is made to nurture. You know, you give a little boy a truck, and he makes truck sounds. You give a little girl anything, and she makes it into a baby. Why is that? It's because God has put in us the heart, the mother heart of God. Now, that's not a feminist thing, like God is a woman. That just means man and woman together are made in the image of God. And so when that nurturing part of a woman is broken for any reason with an unborn child, any child, really, that leaves a hole in a woman's heart. If a woman has a miscarriage, she feels that way. But when that bond is broken by choice, it leaves a hole that is hard to fill. It is not the same kind of pain. And often what happens is she closes off that part of herself to such an extent that she doesn't even know it's there anymore. When I first was going to work at the pregnancy clinic, I was telling one of my friends about it, a Christian friend, and I thought she'd be so excited for me. And she said, why are you going to do that? That that is not a good idea. And I thought, really? And I, I was a little hurt because she was so angry at me. And she kept bringing it up. And then finally one day she said, you know, I had an abortion when I was in college, and I am just fine. And I thought, okay, now I understand. And she really did think she was fine. But when I started that job, it began to stir something in her spirit, and she realized she was not fine, that there was brokenness that needed healing. And she actually came to the point of being a leader in an abortion healing ministry later. And I just think, praise God. When I was preparing for this trip over the last several months, I've had a number of things happen that have um, just refreshed my mind with the heart of God on this issue. And um, one of them, I have to say, too bad I don't have my PowerPoint. Um, I, I was blessed with my seventh grandchild. Woohoo! <laughs> there is nothing better than grandchildren. And, um, and the gift, the preciousness of what life is. But about that same time, I was away on a retreat one weekend with a friend I've known many years and love dearly. She is a woman of God. And she kept asking me questions about what I'd be doing here. And I just began to sense there was a deep something festering in her spirit. And it needed to come out, but it was like we'd almost get there in the conversation, and then she'd swing back this way and change the subject. And finally, I said, there is something that you need to tell me. Just say it. 
And she began to weep and weep. And she said, I can't say it. I can't say it. And finally, after several hours, she told me that she had had an abortion in college and that she has never told anyone. And she sees now with adult children how much it has affected the way she's parented her own girls because there was a brokenness that wasn't healed. I saw that quite often in the clinic in Korean women when they would tell me how angry their moms were that they were pregnant. And not infrequently in the mom's anger, she would say, I have had two abortions, or I have had three abortions, and I'm just fine, so you will do this. And I think that breaks the heart of God, but it also destroys the family that God has made us to be. So um, that... So we're made in the image of God, male and female. We are made to nurture and protect. And um, in Psalm 139, the verse that was read earlier, this is probably, if you were only ever going to think about one verse about what God says about the unborn, one passage, this would be the main passage. It says, and I'm going to read it again, For you did form my inward parts. You did weave me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. When my frame was not hidden from you, or my frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What does that tell us about God's heart for the unborn? In verse 16, he says clearly, you have seen my unformed substance when I was not yet formed. And God says, there all the days of each of our lives was ordained before there was one. So even an unborn child has already a purpose. It has already a life. And one of the things that surprised me in my time at Pohang was that... um, even in many of the women that I talked to who are well-educated, there didn't seem to be an understanding of the sacredness and the awesomeness of 
how we are all conceived and born. It is, and I'm not going to give you my whole spiel, because this is a church service, not a, a medical training, but it is a miracle that any of us come into being. So many things have to happen in exactly the right order for an egg to be fertilized. And once that egg is fertilized, we're talking two cells there, an egg and a sperm, and everything in that moment, everything that is ever going to be in that person, it's there. There is nothing added. It's just going to grow. It's just going to get bigger. And by the time a woman is three weeks after conception, there is enough of a heartbeat that it can be seen on ultrasound. By four weeks after conception, you can always see it. That baby at that point is about the size of an uncooked grain of rice. But when you look at it on ultrasound, I would, I would tell women, it really is all heart at this point because you would see that ba-dump, 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 ba-dump of that tiny beating heart. That all happens before the, the time when most women choose to end a pregnancy. And life has already happened. I remember in the pregnancy clinic one day meeting with a young woman who was just finishing university, headed to med school. She was definitely pro-abortion, and but a wonderful, wonderful, warm person. We had a good conversation, and I could tell I wasn't really getting to her heart level. But we went and we did the ultrasound, and it was at that six-week stage where there was not much there. It was just that little flicker of a heart. And she went home, and a few days later, she called me, and she said, well, I'm going to have my baby. And I said, really? Because I was kind of surprised. And she said, yeah, I could not quit thinking about the potential that what I saw in that beating heart and the life that I would never know if I didn't do it. So her professors were incredibly wonderful. She did her final exam for finishing graduating and then took a year off and went home to live with her parents. Almost as soon as she moved home, her father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that baby became the joy of his life, the only grandchild he would ever know. And each life has purpose. We don't know how lives are going to unfold. Was it her plan? No. But it was God's plan. So... Um, 
long do I have? I really didn't ask. <laughs> Hours? <laughs> We're on my favorite topic in all the world. <laughs> so um, one other story I wanted to share, because I think it, it reflects the heart of a, a father as God wants it to be. And I'm going to use names with this story because these are a couple who have publicly shared their story. I met Raymond and Decky. Um, they were students from China studying in Seattle. And um, they were in love. They were Christians. Um, and she got pregnant. And they came into the clinic seeking an abortion. And... I was brand new. I really did not know what I was doing. So I would do, and that's the cool thing, you guys. When we step out by faith, God makes it so much more than it is. All we have to do is be faithful to take the steps he gives us. So as I met with them, they became my teachers because as we did an ultrasound and they saw this very, very tiny baby and no one else knew she was pregnant and their parents had sacrificed to send them to school there. And Raymond looked at me and he said, we have already made one choice that was not God's will. We will not make another and take the life of this child. That is the protecting father that pleases the heart of God. And you could see in her eyes her fear melting away because he was going to make a way. Was it an easy way? No, it was really hard. Because as you probably understand more than I do, the Chinese church was very small in as far as everybody knew the business of every Chinese church in Seattle. And they were ostracized. They, had, they went to my church for about four years until they felt like they could go back and not be shamed. They were asked to publicly in their church confess their sin up front. That is not the heart of God. God does not shame us. He brings us to repentance with gentleness and mercy. So um, they gave me a Chinese grandson. He was very adorable. And then they gave me two more. And um, today they still live in the Seattle area. Um, they're a beautiful family. The children are now teenagers. They walk with God. The potential of one life and how that story would have changed if he had not stood for truth. Um, the second thing, I'm not a three-point person, so don't worry, I just have two, <laughs> um, that I want to talk about is what I call sexual integrity. And um, when I first started doing this, both my husband and I were very involved in ministry that we called abstinence, abstinence education. And as the years have gone by, we've realized that while there is some truth in that, 
the reality is it's not enough truth because God does not just say, don't have sex before you're married. God says, live every day of your life with sexual integrity. And how I define that, and I'm, this is not original with me, this is from a friend, is expressing throughout life the gift of our sexuality in a true, excellent, honest, and pure way. Dear hearts, if you are single and you think it's going to be great when you get married, if you have let your sexuality be less than pure and honorable and beautiful, it's not going to be different when you get married. You will not be able to honor your husband or your wife the way they were intended to be honored. Um, my husband does a lot of um, coaching accountability with men, and he says that at least half of the men he meets with, pornography is a huge issue for them. These are men who are leaders in their churches. They didn't intend to become enslaved to this, but they did. And I think our, our culture in the U.S. has so skewed God's values. And then, unfortunately, we've exported that to much of the world. And particularly, because most of you are delightfully young, um, we, we, we've noticed in travels in different countries that often your generation has more in common with people from another country your own age than you do with your own parents because you're really a global youth culture. You are so much more connected than we are. But that connection can be both good or harmful. And so my encouragement in that is just that you will hold dearly who God has made you to be. Hold close to your heart the things God has put in you. And for those of you who are carrying pain from past choices, do not let Satan hold on to those Bring them into the light. You are going to be the future voices who say we will not be silent on this issue. We will not hide the struggle or the victory that God has given. God does not waste our pain, but we have to bring it to him. We need to let him be our transforming power. I have had, um, in my preparation for this trip, more than any trip we have ever taken, had such a sense that the time is now for this issue for Korea. You, you have a plummeting birth rate, one of the lowest in the world, Part of that comes from our skewed sexuality that values the wrong things, 
that says children are not the gift. They're what we want to be sure we don't get too many of. And that has been an issue, honestly, in my own life. Um, My husband and I did not pray about how many children would you have us have, Lord? We just figured out how many we could afford and how many we could educate well. Where's the faith in that? There isn't any. Now, I'm not saying everybody should have five children like my oldest daughter. (laughs) I'm hoping that if I ask God how many I should have had, he might not have given me five. (laughs) It's a lot. But God has called my daughter and son-in-law to have that many. They're good parents working to raise their children to make a difference in the kingdom of God. You are the second largest mission-sending nation in the world. Who is going to be the next generation? God wants to release you to be what he has made you to be. And there are people here tonight that are part of that. I, I don't know who. I don't have that gifting that Pastor Christian has, although I love it. <laughs> so I just, I just say in closing, do not hold in darkness and in secret what God wants to bring into the light. Let God bring healing. Let him bring light. And let him bring life in all of its fullness. Amen.